0: We are set to go. Are you set to go? We are indeed. And uh, welcome to the show once again. John Scholes here, ready to go for the next hour. And uh, our good pal Mackenzie is here, courtesy Sam Furu to Mark and LLP, always ready to answer your questions. Got a lot of stuff to get uh, through on the show today. Uh, we always start off with the uh, week that was, but I want to give you the number to reach out now and talk to us. Would love to get you on air if you have any questions, which you probably do, right? You can do them. The week that was Mackenzie, I have an idea, maybe possibly what you're gonna mention this morning. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's just been all over the news since his announcement yesterday. But um I if you haven't heard already, the Toronto mayor John tory has resigned um due to a relationship he had with one of his former staffers during the during the pandemic. And so obviously this this raises a lot of employment law concerns and I you know I want to respect uh, the mayor and, and everyone's privacy here. So I, I just want to talk about workplace relationships in general. It's a good, yep. good time to kind of revisit these issues and kind of rehash what, uh, what, what is and is not appropriate in, in a workplace and uh, in, in terms of workplace relationships. So I want to start off by saying, you know, there's nothing illegal about a consensual workplace relationship. So there's no statute that prohibits it. There's no um, there's nothing that is illegal about these things. but And, and typically, it's, it's not an issue when, um, when that relationship is between employees who are on the same level and, and it has no impact on, on the workplace itself. The concerns arise when there's a power imbalance between the, employee, the employees who are in the relationship. Um, for example, when it's between a, a boss and a subordinate. Um, But, and those concerns are really about preferential treatment or breaches of privacy or confidentiality obligations. So, it's really important that we, um, that employers kind of uh, get ahead of these things. Um, And and so, I wanted to kind of talk about what employers should do about office romances. And so, the, the main um, concern is uh, is employers really need to make sure that they are communicating to their workforce, to their employees, what their expectations are of, uh, of employees uh, when these workplace relationships arise. And so the main way and the, the most important way to communicate that is by having clear and well-drafted workplace romance policies that set out what is expected of employees when they enter into these consensual relationships. Those policies, I mean, it's gonna be different and it it does need to be kind of catered and specific to each um, individual workplace, each industry. They're all gonna need to be very um, employer-specific, but generally speaking, what these policies should address is things like when a relationship should be reported, who in the organization should they should, uh, these employees should be reporting the, the, their relationship to. Um, it should address how conflicts or perceived conflicts of interest, perhaps, how those uh, conflicts will be addressed and managed within the organization. Um, it might involve perhaps having a prohibition on direct reports, um, having those relationships. So if that relationship does evolve between direct reports, someone uh, where there is that power imbalance, perhaps the policy has some sort of procedure in place that would um, either reorganize or, or redistribute the employees to another reporting relationship. Uh um, yeah, it's,
0: it, it's, it's just, it's interesting there that you mentioned this, can they, I know you want to continue on with your point. Yeah. Can, can, can it just be outright banned?
1: It could, it, it depends. It really honestly right. depends on, on each organization. If that's something that is going to be banned, um, an employer is really going to need to think long and hard about that because if you're going to have an outright ban on, um, inter, inter- office relationships, you're running the risk of employees really not, um, you know, these things happen. It, you can't, you know, can't really prevent these people, your employees are interacting with each other there, you know, these workplace relationships do happen and no. putting an outright ban on inter um, office relationships may just incentivize employees not to abide by the policy. And so that kind of leads me into my next point is that the policies should address what kind of disciplinary measures will be in place um, when an employee, when employees breach that policy. And so that you wanna have that clearly outlined so that employees understand, okay, here's what the workplace expectations are. And if I breach those, I'm running the risk of potentially a termination. Um, I wanna kind of make it very clear here that uh, consensual uh, uh, relationships between employees, if, if a breach of that uh, policy It likely is not cause for your termination. So even if you're terminated for having a workplace relationship or breaching your employer's workplace relationship policy, um, it's very likely not cause and you still are entitled to severance. So that's an important distinction to make. I think it's also really important to note here that these, um, these workplace policies that employers should... If you don't have one in place, you should certainly um, be putting one of these in place to kind of get ahead of what uh, what the expectations are for workplace relationships. But they don't apply to non consensual workplace sexual advances or what 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 is um, sexual harassment in the workplace. And so uh, these policies uh, there there's a zero tolerance for sexual harassment in the workplace and every employer in Ontario. Has a legal obligation to to provide a workplace that's free from sexual harassment. So these are things that are uh, those are, those would be addressed in your harassment policies. But these workplace relationship policies are really just um, just relevant to consensual workplace relationships. <laughs>
0: Is it um, does the policy or the wording in the policy in your experience change depending on the circumstance? For instance, in I mean, in 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 Mayor Tory's case, you know, a high-ranking person in the organization versus an entry-level or a subordinate versus two people on the same playing field. Does that make a difference?
1: It, it, it's again that it goes back to it needs to be very specific to right. the organization, and so there are absolutely situations in organizations where. Perhaps um, in that particular company, they just, they can't have those um, subordinate uh, relationships. And so there could be, it could be a situation where it's appropriate to have um, more restrictive um, policies on inter, on, on relationships between a subordinate and their superior. So, Again, it's going to be, everything is going to be industry and company specific, and it's going to be something that employers are going to want to kind of revisit regularly. And so this is a good cue. What's happened on Friday is a really good cue for employers to really rethink, okay, revisit your policy, make sure you have a policy in place, and perhaps revisit it and and make sure that it's up to speed and up to date and relevant to your current workforce.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I mean, it uh, it just goes to show it demonstrates that this can happen at any level with anybody you wouldn't expect. I mean, everybody beyond the actual fact that, that, that Mayor Tory came out and said this, I think most people's mouths were agape going, Tory? Tory did this? This this guy we trust and he's been a great mayor, so on and so forth. And I think a lot of people just they, – they're still t- this morning and today having trouble getting their heads around that, that he uh, he got into this type, type of relationship. But I guess, you know, Mackenzie, in your experience, it's kind of um, – I'm sure you've seen this as well, where what may have started as a consensual uh, workplace relationship, which is according to the policy and otherwise would probably be frowned upon, if that ends, if that goes south for some reason, I mean, one or one of the parties may quickly have spite. This could turn into a sexual harassment case if it, if it ends poorly, right, which is also another big red flag
1: absolutely. And so that's why the details of your policy are going to be very very important. So it's you do need to address in your policy how these things cuz you know all relationships don't last forever mm-hmm. and 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 there you know inevitably some workplace relationships are going to come to an end and so it's going to be really important for you to have some sort of procedure or policy in place that addresses when uh, that that provides those solutions when those conflicts do come up.
0: We'll get into our first talking points and take a short break in a couple minutes. Returning to the office and work from home frequently asked questions, and this as uh, you know, maybe a year ago this wasn't uh, that big a topic, but now more and more we people are either returning to the office or doing some sort of hybrid deal through their workplace, and it's uh, it's sometimes it met, it's met with resistance from some people who have gotten used to being at home and having the convenience of working down the uh, down the hallway from the bedroom, and other people are, are are loving the idea that they're back with their uh, their colleagues and co workers. It's a breath of fresh air. Get out of the house. House, but either way, we'll tackle it all. Can an employer, Mackenzie, require you to return to the office? And in, in that regard, what type of notice or heads up are the employees entitled to? Because some people may have been home for two, three years by now.
1: Yeah, um, it's this is this is absolutely a very relevant topic because I'm getting a lot of calls of people getting called back to the office, either even just part time or not even full time. And they don't want to go back. So uh, it, it's important here to note that um, employees don't have the automatic right to work from home unless it's been addressed in their employment contract or they were hired to specifically work from home. So it's, it really depends. If you were hired pre-pandemic and your employer has let you work from home um, during the pandemic and over the past you know, two and a half years, um, that is not a term of your employment. Um, and so, your, th- th- in those situations, your employer ha- is allowed to request you to call you back to work. Um, if if you're uh, if you were hired virtually and your contract states that your position is a virtual position, or um, you were told or um, hired under the um, recommendation that it would be a remote position then you're in this situation where it like your, like your employer likely doesn't have the right to call you back. So it's gonna be situation specific. The caveat to all of this is that employees who are working from home and have childcare or elder care obligations or some sort of disability that requires accommodation by working from home, those, kinds, those employees will need to um, work with their employers to sort out appropriate accommodation. Which may include your employer allowing you to permanently work from home.
0: With that, my friend, we'll take a short break as we continue here with the employment law show. Stand by. All right, welcome back to it. John Schools here and Mackenzie Irwin, mark Tamarkin LLP. Always reach out to Mackenzie any matters uh, discussed uh, w- with your employment or your uh, your job. Always ready to take them. Mackenzie will be.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm 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 not involved. I have no direct knowledge with with exactly what's going on mm-hmm. in terms of of Uh, the mayor or what policies were applicable to the mayor's employment. And so I don't have any direct knowledge of that, but uh, it it may be the case where um, that workplace policy does require you to resign. I don't know if it's, it's a if it's required by the policy or if it's a personal decision that he's made, but um, ultimately we can just, all I can do is speculate, but in, in generally speaking, If that policy, it depends, if that workplace policy does require you to step down from your position when you've breached the policy, um, that's something that you've agreed to as a term of your employment and and something that you have to work through with your employer.
0: Yeah, I'm sure more of this will uh, unfold in the next uh, few weeks and months for sure. Uh, This probably will not be the last time we're talking about this particular topic as it rests close to home for sure with our own mayor. But talking about uh, heading back to work from that uh, extended break, possibly you were uh, in the workplace setting uh, from, the outset, from the outset, now you've been asked to go back from home and go back to the workplace, or maybe you started your job, as you said earlier, McKenzie, online or at least working from home and never had to set foot in the office. Um, there was a uh, time theft case you were, you were about to talk about that came out in the Financial Pulse. What, uh, what, what are the details of that, basically?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a it's a BC case and uh-huh. um, it's it's an example where the employer has has really um, crossed their T's and dotted their eyes and and made sure that they had everything properly documented in order to successfully terminate an employee for cause. So what happened here is the employee was a I believe she was a CPA and they were uh, they were working from home. Um, they were. In, their, in her employment, they were uh, using a time tracking software that was able to track when an employee had certain files open and for how long and what data entries they, they had completed during that time. And so this particular employee um, was submitting timesheets stating that they had done work on a file for a particular number of hours Um, and the employer had paid them for those hours, but the employer had had later learned that that employee had actually not done the work that they had purported to have done. So time theft is really when an employee um, submits um, false timesheets and is compensated and paid for um, for those hours when they actually hadn't done that work. So in this case, the employer, um, you know, got wind of these discrepancies. Uh, the work that she said she was uh, completing uh, turns out wasn't actually done, and so there that raised some alarms with the employer. They investigated those discrepancies, and they they did a pretty thorough investigation. They reviewed all the time entries and the work completed on the file which most employers, you know, that time tracking software was quite sophisticated. So it was Mm -hmm. it was pretty detailed what 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 they had and what they could review. Um, And they they even obtained an admission from the employee that they had actually padded their time here. So this was a is a very rare situation where an employer has has done everything properly and has has properly documented it, gone through the steps. Done a proper investigation and uh, ultimately terminated the employee for cause. So this employee then filed a wrongful dismissal uh, suit, and the employer actually counterclaimed for the uh, the time theft. Right. So it's um it, it, and they won. Um and so that employee um was they it was found that they did have cause, and it was found that um that that the employee did have to pay back um. hours that she was paid that she she had uh, not actually worked so it's a really it's it's a a pretty important employment law case right now it's it's very um it's it's very popular it's very commonly discussed among employment Mm -hmm. lawyers right now and it's it really speaks to um the importance of having you know regular check-ins with your employees who are working from home in order to manage um, their productivity and, and keep on top of and, and keep their employees in co- accountable, it, the case does not mean that employers can terminate employees for cause for you know making the odd per, uh, for personal phone call or, or um, browsing the internet during their working hours. Um, it, it it is it doesn't mean that employees employers can uh terminate their employees for cause for slacking off for example um that's especially true without any progressive discipline or documented warning so it's kind of uh, one of those rare cases where where this is where the employer has been able to to successfully argue that the termination was for just cause um i think it's important here to kind of note like there was the the use of the time tracking softwares that is something that was really key in this employer's uh successful arguing uh, of just cause um it was pretty sophisticated software and it's it's really important that um especially for employers in ontario that that you remember the recent legislation that's come out requiring um all of employers to advise their employees when and how they're electronically monitoring them so a lot of stuff going on in this case and it's it's certainly a a rare case where just cause was um was successful but it's something that um that employees need to be aware of that it's possible to be terminated for cause when um when you're claiming that you're working hours that you're not working Um, and that's particularly important with employees who are working from home
0: yeah, you know the way you describe that uh, that software. I mean, is there? Um, what am I trying to say? Is it, it's pretty robust. Is there going to be an argument going forward with people saying how can you be such it, you know Big Brother software? I mean, knowing exactly how long and what files you've opened, so on and so forth. I mean, they won this case. I get that the the employer did, but would some consider that too much of an oversee?
1: Uh, well, so no, at this point, it's not, um, as long as the employer isn't breaching um, any privacy rights. So they're not overstepping um, uh, your, they're not tracking you when you're off work hours. Um, and this software was uh, particularly on the employees, uh, in, uh, the company computer. Right. Uh, so. You, you don't have an expectation of privacy of uh, your work computer, your, um, your company issued computer, and especially during uh, work hours. And so as long as um, there's no laws preventing an employer from using this kind of software during working hours, as long as they're not breaching any of your, um, your other privacy rights. But uh, this is something that is allowed um, as long as in Ontario, as long as that employer is advising you when and how they're use, they're electronically yeah. monitoring you and, and what they're using that data for.
0: What other uh, types of cases are you seeing arising out of uh, working from home employment? Because it's huge now, right?
1: It is. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, a lot of employees uh, were sent home to work from home at the beginning of the pandemic and have been doing so now for over two years, almost three years, actually. So, It's um, a lot of the issues that I'm seeing are in terms of jurisdiction. So the employee, for example, you used to work at, um, at your you were hired in Toronto and you've now relocated somewhere else. Um, The important thing here is the jurisdiction that applies to your employment is the jurisdiction um, is where you're working, where you perform, where you're actually sitting and performing the majority of your work. So for example, I've, I have, uh, I can think of a situation where an employee who came to me, they were, uh, they were hired for a company um, based out of their uh, New York office, um, but throughout the p- pandemic actually moved back home to Toronto. And they started working full-time from Toronto and their employment, because they're working from Toronto full-time, their employment is now governed by the Ontario Employment Law. The employer had no idea now um Uh that in that when this new york city company actually went went forward and and terminated the employee recently um and terminated them based on the termination entitlements under their new york city employment contract and new york's uh, and new york law right that was improper Now this employee has now been working two years under um, in Toronto and, and her employment is subject to Ontario employment law. So this, she came to me and she said, is there something, anything I can do about this? And I said, yes, absolutely. Your employment is now subject to Ontario law and you're owed significantly more in severance than, uh, than what the company had given her. So, Mm We've gone ahead and, and wrote a letter to her her company and we're now negotiating uh, her severance package and her severance entitlements based on employment uh, Ontario employment law
0: yeah, they often say that or you guys have said that on the show yourself and Lior and all the other lawyers that come on the show said you know geographically where you where you park your butt that's the that's the laws that pertain to your employment so if the company's in Texas and you're in uh, Tottenham doesn't matter the laws in Tottenham and Ontario are the, uh, the ones that apply. We'll take a, a short break, guys. Employment Law Show continues. Hang on. And welcome back to it. Mackenzie Irwin is who you want to reach out to anytime she's got a great team with her over the firm. A couple uh, key pieces of information takes you about 30 seconds to go through that sucker, and you will get a number at the bottom, and you will most likely be shocked as to your common law rights when it comes to severance. Again, the severance calculator at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Over 2 million of us have tried it. 2 million have tried that severance calculator, so uh, have at her. As they say, anytime you would like, but we're talking about, uh, you know, heading back to work either full-time, part-time from working at home for uh, the last maybe year or two years, longer in some cases if you uh, made that transfer at the beginning of the uh, the pandemic. So, you know, we've heard stories of employees who accepted jobs working remotely and um, you know, now the the employer Mackenzie is telling them you got to come back to work, and I saw this coming two years ago. Everyone's like, oh, you know what? I live downtown Toronto. Since I am not going to be there anymore, my dream of owning some acreage north of North Bay is going to happen. And they, they, they got the hell out of Dodge. They went uh, way out north and they bought a nice house. And now the employer saying, yeah, you know what? We got to get you back in the office. And now they're three hours away from the city. What's happening in those situations?
1: yeah this is so common lots of people made mass exit from the yeah. from toronto when they when they were able to work remotely and and they've done so comfortably and without any issue for the past two almost we're up, we're coming up to three years now so it it's really it, it's going to depend it's going to depend on on your employment contract and what the terms of your employment were when you were hired during um during the pandemic so if you're hired remotely you got to look to your contract. If your contract has any kind of term that says uh, this is a remote position, it's a permanently remote position, then your employer has no right to recall you back to the office. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are calling me with this issue, that is not what the employment contract says. It says it's on a temporary basis or on an indefinite basis, but the there's usually a term in there where the employer says, we reserve the right to recall you back to the office, um, at some point in the future. And so I'm gonna have to deliver that bad news to that that uh, employee who's relocated all the way to North Bay. Um, and 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 unfortunately, their employer does have the right to recall them back in those situations. So it's really gonna be uh, this is where it's really, really important for employers um, to make sure that they've put in place policies uh, that apply to their employees addressing what those what their expectations are of those employees when they're working from home. So most of my employer clients we've gone through and we've um, we've drafted policies that um, prohibit an employee from permanently relocating um, outside of commuting distance to the office, just to kind of preserve the right to recall them back to the office. And so. A lot of employers have um, policies where they're prohibiting employees from working outside of the province, even if it's a, a remote position, um, and they don't intend to recall you back to the office. You've gotta have those policies in place that kind of clearly ex- explain to your em- your employees what the expectations are. If you're allowing them to work outside of the province, if you're allowing them to work outside of the city, or to, li- sorry, live outside of the city, um, You know, that's got to be clearly outlined in your policies. So it's going to depend. And and unfortunately, a lot of people are coming to me with with the same questions. And I take a look at their employment contract. And and unfortunately, the employer has uh, preserved the right to recall you back to work out of the office.
0: So let's take it uh, geographically one step further. Maybe they've accepted to work from home and they've relocated out of province as you said or maybe even out of the country. Perhaps maybe it's a place where the company isn't registered even to do business. What types of implications are there for that?
1: Yeah, this is a honestly I predict that this you know once the the dust settles with all of these COVID issues, employment law issues, I predict that this is going to be the next one of the next big issues in employment law. Um if, you're, if, you're empl- if your employer doesn't have a policy in place outlining what the boundaries are, what you are and are, are not allowed to do, where you are and are not allowed to live and work, um, then the employer is going to run into a lot of issues with this. Um, it's important that you know, throughout the pandemic, lots of people have moved around and um, employers have not necessarily kept track of exactly where their employees are so this may this be a fair warning to employers it's very important that you track down and you make sure that you know where your employees who are working remotely where they are and where they're performing the majority of that work similar to what i was uh speaking about earlier um, if your employee has moved to a different jurisdiction their employment is subject to that uh the laws of that new jurisdiction so if you've moved from the US to Canada, you're now your or to Ontario, your employment is now subject to much, much um, uh, more. I mean, the the laws of the employment laws of Ontario are much more employee friendly than right. the employ than those of New York, New York or um, California, for example. So it's really, really important that you track down where your employees are you put those policies in place and you make it very clear to and clearly communicated to your employees where they are and are not allowed to, to be working. So there's going to be a lot of tax implications of having your employees working in different provinces and in different countries. And this is going to be um, a really big issue with employers because uh, those companies are going to be in hot water when the CRA or whatever tax authorities in, in the particular country start cracking down on remote work arrangements and taxes that are owed on that work being performed in their jurisdiction.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I personally know someone who decided to uh, just, you know, recently actually within a, the last year just had enough of this, you know, was already working remotely and decided to uh, just pack up the uh, the tents and went to the Amalfi Coast to live in Italy. I'm like, Really? The thing is, they own the company, so they can do whatever the hell they want. I'm like, man, I'm still jealous. Like, oh, yeah, gee, I can look outside and I can have winter or I can be in the Amalfi coast in Italy. Good move. But uh, the owner, so the owner can do whatever the heck he likes. But uh, what about uh, situations where the work-from-home employee may request, say, a temporary work out of country for family reasons. Maybe they got a sick relative overseas and they got to continue work. And the employer says, no, we're not going to let that happen. Is there recourse?
1: So uh, there are statutory leaves, um, so leaves that are protected under the Employment Standards Act, for example, compassionate care leave, that employers have to grant employees no matter what. Um, There will be, you know, there might be some sort of documentation that the employee does need to provide in order to substantiate that leave, but in, in terms of the statutorily protected leaves. Those the, uh, the employer must grant those no matter what. Now, anything above and beyond the minimum statutory uh, protected leaves, that's something that's going to have to be addressed by the employer. Um, hopefully in one of the company's policies. So if you're an employer that's willing to grant um, permission above and beyond the statutory minimums, it should be clearly outlined in a policy. You should be communicating to your employees how they go about applying for and requesting those leaves, what time limits there are on those leaves. But um, if if you're granting permission for those leaves, Um, You're going to need to be very clear with your employees um, that it's not an indefinite leave, you don't have, uh, you're not granting them a right to work indefinitely from a new country or overseas, Um, and you're going to want to provide a clear end date. It's something, if there is no policy, it's something that can be negotiated between an employee and the employer. And certainly, I would encourage employers to um, to work with their employees to kind of uh, make sure that they're supporting their employees during, um, during these difficult times when they're caring for a sick parent. But, um, but it's not something that is required but certainly something that can be negotiated between the employee and, and, and the employer. And it may just be the, that uh, the employer is going to grant them uh, permission to go take that leave, but it, it, it'll, it may just be an unpaid leave. So okay. there's lots of options here, but it's certainly something that um, employers shouldn't just say uh, outright say no to. Uh, they must grant the statutory minimum um, and perhaps it's something that's worthwhile exploring if you're going to grant them something above and beyond that.
0: One more short break. We return with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang on. And we're, uh, we're back at it. Thank you for joining us here on the show today. And for the past hour, we've been talking about the uh, the dichotomy, the intricacies of working from home since the pandemic, possibly going back and forth, maybe hybrid, maybe not. Maybe you got to go back into the office. The employer is saying, All right, dinner bell, let's go. Everybody back in the office, put a tie back on. We've had enough of this business. But does it all work so smoothly? We're not sure. So, uh, you know, what types of valid reasons, Mackenzie, might employees have for refusing to return to work? And, I mean, for vice versa, for that matter, what might be some valid and acceptable reasons employers have to require in person work, getting them back?
1: Yeah. So, in terms of, uh, from the employee's perspective, um, there are absolutely some valid reasons for, um, not returning to work but you it really need requires um you to kind of work with your employer so uh, as i've been kind of talking about throughout the this segment this morning is um if your employer is recalling you back to work whether or not they have that right to recall you back to work will depend on uh the terms of your employment so the language in your employment contract if you were hired remotely and your position is remote then your employer may not have the right to call you back but if you had been transitioned to remote working um, throughout the, pan- yeah, the onset of the pandemic, then your employer absolutely has the right to recall you back to work. Now, when in that situation, uh, there are some instances where an employee may have a legitimate reason not to return to work, and that's when you have um, that employee has some sort of um, either a, uh, a human rights um, issue that needs to be accommodated, and uh, the you know, the accommodation includes allowing the employee to work from home permanently. And so situation, some examples might be if you have um, child care obligations or um, you're caring for a family member or uh, an elderly um, family member at home that requires you to be working from home um um, 100% of the time. It could be that you have some sort of disability, um, an anxiety disorder, some sort of disability that um, the accommodation uh, could be allowing you to work permanently from home. In those instances, it's really important that you're communica- that the employee is communicating with their employer what those obligations are, what those human rights um, issues are. Um, you need to communicate that to your employer, and then you, you need to work with your employer uh, to come up with some form of accommodation that, um, that works for both parties. Um, it doesn't require your employer to, um, to perfectly accommodate you or to, to allow you to work from home 100% of the time. It, it's really a, um, uh, an exercise where the employee and the employer needs to kind of work together to explore what possible accommodations um, are available. Now, on the flip side, with right. employers, what reasons would an employer have to require people to, to work in person? Um, and, it, and it really depends on the industry. I mean, uh, if you're, uh, let's say, for example, there are some, uh, some companies that deal with very sensitive personal data. Um, that, having that sensitive personal data, having an employee interact with that data at home where the employer may not have um, uh, there may, you know, there may be some sort of security breach issues or or liabilities, that employer will have a very legitimate reason to require the employees to return to the office so that they can minimize the risk of any security breaches from home offices. There's lots going on, and there's lots of reasons why an employer would require an employee to come back to work, but ultimately you've got to look to the, um, to the employment contract. And to the terms on which the employee was hired.
0: Let's uh, let's let's take it uh, another step further. Then, what obligations do employers have for providing home office equipment for employees? I mean, not just computers. I mean, my wife goes back and forth, and she brings her laptop, you know, to and from. But, uh, I mean, let's talk about chairs, desks, uh, cybersecurity, as you just mentioned, home networks, paying for the Internet. I mean, you're not going to sit on the floor in the corner like some university student. You're going to want to have a proper workplace, right? So, I mean, can all these work-related expenses that are now being covered personally by some employees, can they throw them back at the employer if they're working from home?
1: This is a question that I'm getting asked all the time. Um, and, and it's really, uh, there's, a, it's a, there's a really really important distinction to be made here. So um, the distinction is between employees who are hired to work remotely from the outset of their employment um, versus those employees who are hired to work in an office and then the employer chose to move them to working remotely. So if you've been hired to work remotely from the outset, your, the employer has has made an offer to you, an offer of employment, and that offer may, you know, in that offer they may say, here's what we are willing to supply, and here's what we're not willing to supply, um, and then that employee has to make the choice whether to accept that employment on those terms and incur the cost of things that that they need to buy to do their job. Um, or they could not accept those terms. But in those situations, the employer isn't necessarily on the hook to provide you with those tools to do your job. You've made the choice to, um, to accept the job under the terms that, that have been offered to you. On the flip side of that, when the employer has uh, when you've been hired um, and you are working remotely, your, your employer chooses to switch you to working remotely then the employer is on the hook to supply the employee with the tools that they need to to do the job. It wouldn't be fair for the employer to make that employee pay for this when it's the employer's choice to transition them to working remotely. Um, Now, depending on the cost to the employee and and the impact uh, on their overall compensation, if the employer is refusing to provide you with those tools, this could be a constructive dismissal, and so you should certainly reach out if your employer is refusing to provide you with those tools. If you've been hired to work in an office and your employer chose to make you work from home, um, I think, yeah, and and just as a as a caveat, one last thing is that there, you know, there the accommodation there. If there's a human rights accommodation that's needed, for example, if the employee has a physical limitation requiring Um, some some particular chair or desk. Those are situations where the employer, no matter how the employee was hired, may need to provide those accommodations.
0: And with that, we are done. Excellent stuff. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Employment Law Show.